0: It's uh, great to see you all, um, especially for the fact that we haven't been raptured. Uh, It's um, especially—I don't know if that's exciting or not. And if you haven't heard yet, it's October now, uh, which I'm really confident in. Um, I I wish, I wish people would just stop saying that we're going to be raptured, because Jesus said the day and the hour is unknown. So anytime anyone makes a prediction, it's automatically not that. I don't know, I don't know what this guy is thinking. Read the Bible. Jesus said, no one will know. And so when you say you know, that, then you're negating the very scripture itself, right? I just, I don't understand this guy. So October 21st, we'll, we'll hold our breath, right? Uh, w- one other thing, too, while I'm, I'm a soapbox on that. I had some Christians um, text me. They're like, so are you worried? And I, I was like, like, my text back was just a question mark. Like, what do you mean am I worried? If Jesus does come back, it's going to be amazing. You know, like, I don't understand what... Are you worried? Like, no. Are you? Like, you know, it's kind of a personal problem, really, right? Um, now, listen, uh, tonight's going to be entirely different. And I'm so glad you came tonight. Um, this, I'm ringing here. I don't know what's happening, but it's bugging me. Thanks. Um, it's not your fault. It's mine, I think. But um, the, uh, in third grade, you guys remember third grade? Uh, I had this amazing opportunity. Actually, I was a part of an experiment. I know that sounds dicey. Uh, But it it, it was awesome, actually. Uh, My third grade, yeah, explains a lot, I know, but um, my third grade class, uh, your your parents had to sign you up for this special thing, and it was called cooperative learning. Listen to this. I literally spent my entire third grade year doing everything in small groups. There were 60 of us in one class. Have you, you, Jessica, have you heard, like, is this still happening, teachers? Is this, okay. It was unbelievable, like, everything. We tested individually sometimes, but... Like, everything was happening in a small group. And I really believe it was huge for my growth. It was very formidable for me. I, I, I feel like I learned a lot about leadership in, that, in those moments. The biggest lesson, though, that I learned in that is I learned how to think. And I know that, I know that sounds strange. Like, you're like, well, but, but there's others. It's like a small group. So why would you learn how to think? Like, could you just be resting on other people. No, actually, the process of, like, having to wrestle with things and, like, speak out loud about it, and talk about it was incredibly helpful. Uh, it goes against the grain of modern Christianity, where I feel like most of us have literally just been spoon-fed our entire life. Have you, ever, have you ever felt like that before? That literally all the teaching that you've ever had on the Scripture, it just comes to you on this you know very silver perfect spoon, and, and he, like here it is. And you're you're never taught to think critically about the Scripture, or about your faith. Have you ever had that sense? It's like this, it's why when people go to college and they sit underneath a liberal professor for the first time in a world religion class, and the professor makes some statements about Christianity, for the very first time they've ever heard anything against Christianity, it's why whatever the percentage is, so many Christian students who walked into college seemingly strong, all of a sudden just binge on everything against the scripture. Why? Why? Because all they've done, all their life, has been spoon-fed. Here, this is exactly what it is. You don't need to think, of, you need to think for yourself. Just read and follow along, and everything will be okay. Do, do you feel like that's been you? We don't want to do that here. I never, ever want to get in this situation where all we're doing is spoon-feeding you. I want to be able to challenge each other. I want to be able to wrestle. I want to be able to ask tough questions. And so tonight... We're going to ask some very difficult questions. We're going to ask some questions that are are not just going to cause you to think, but I think together are going to cause us to wrestle. So I hope you're ready tonight to not just have something that's, you know, put out there for the eating, but that you're ready to engage. Are you ready to engage tonight? Can we we journey together? Can this be, and that's why I'm sitting, and we'll see how long this lasts, but I just, I just, right, I just want to be together in this. So open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 5. We've been studying Hebrews, it's been unbelievable, because the entire book of Hebrews is building the character of the Christ. The first part of Hebrews is all on Jesus' superiority overall, but on some very specific things, and here recently we've transitioned to a very specific topic. Anyone? Anyone? The what? The high priest, okay? We're going to come back to it here in a couple chapters but this will be our last night on it for a while. This role is so incredibly important for us to understand because it literally creates the strong doctrine, the strong belief system of who Jesus is. And so I want to start here in a verse, uh, a verse 5 of last week, where we ended last week, and then we'll go uh, from 6 to 10, the verses that will be focused on Here we go, verse 5, Hebrews chapter 5. So also, Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest. Again, the high priest is one who's appointed by God to mediate between man and God. It's man's representation to God. That's what a priest is, and a high priest even more so. But was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Verse 6. And he also says in another place, You are a priest forever. After the order of Melchizedek, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Verse 8. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Verse 10. Being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Um, now, much to wrestle with tonight, so let's let's begin here with this word, Melchizedek. H- have you ever heard this word before? It's literally the most mysterious one of the most mysterious men in all of Scripture. He has eight mentions in the entire Bible, Melchizedek, alright? Name your son that, right? Try that on for size. Six of the mentions are in Hebrews. One of the mentions is in Psalm 110, verse 4, like we're reading right now. This is what that's quoting. But the first mention is in Genesis 14, verse 18. It's in Genesis 14, verse 18, that we learned that Melchizedek, and I don't want to go too much into Melchizedek, because we'll spend an entire, literally, chapter on him here in a couple chapters. Melchizedek is called the king of, anyone? Salem. Now, that's an interesting name. The king of Salem, the, the ancient name for the city Jerusalem, Right? And there's lots of um, interesting things that happen around Melchizedek. There's there's even this imagery of bread and wine that's used with Melchizedek. Abraham tithes to Melchizedek before tithing is even a principle. So we have all kinds of things surrounding Melchizedek. The only thing we need to know tonight, uh, outside of just being able to say the name properly now after we leave, which will be exciting, is that Melchizedek is mentioned here to show that Jesus comes from a different line. Remember when I showed you two weeks ago that that uh, Jesus, different from Aaron, he comes from a completely different lineage of high priests, beginning with Aaron and all 82 other high priests that come after him. They all come from what tribe? The tribe of the what? The tribe of the Levites, but not Jesus. Jesus comes from this line, which is which is significant. Why? Because Melchizedek is the what of Salem? The king of Salem. Was Aaron a king? No, Aaron was not a king. He was a high priest, but he wasn't a king. Jesus comes from the kingly order of Melchizedek. Now, let's deal with the rest part of this uh, passage here. As he also says in another place, you are a priest. What's the word there? Forever. Now, um, let's think on this for a moment, shall we? Listen to this. I saw this word and I was instantly drawn because we're gonna see it come up again here at the end in verse 10. What if what if God was bound by time? Like in other words, what if what if the whole structure of time was actually incredibly tied up? What if what if like all of this was real, true, and legitimate, and and one day, like a hundred years after Christ came back or something, just nothing would, everything would just cease to exist. What if God was bound by space and time? Have you ever thought about that before? So many mentions in the scripture about God being eternal, forever, consistent, faithful. But but what if if you just sit back for a moment and you think about what if God wasn't. Eternal. In fact, let me say it this way. What if God wasn't in the very beginning, but somehow became existent? Let me ask you this. If God was bound by space and time, would it affect your perception of God? Would it change your trust, your faith in who He is? If all the rest of Scripture was true, but the portion of Him being eternal wasn't the case, do you think in your heart and in your mind that your entire concept of God would be changed? Let me say it this way. Uh, The stuff happening in Joplin, have you, I mean, so, so sad, right? I mean, the stories keep coming up. Uh, Have any of you guys been to the Weather Channel's website? Have you seen what some of the, uh, some of the staff guys and I were watching this reporter? comes on right after all of this has happened he's amidst the wreckage have any of you seen this video um he comes on the wreckage he gets in front of behind the mic and in front of the camera and listen to this he starts talking and he literally just starts bawling like this trained professional to deal with chaos he can't take it i mean it's so devastating in the clip he literally turns his back to the camera and he's sobbing in the microphone because of the devastation For me, as I watch that clip, for that guy in that moment to listen to this, all of a sudden, time matters. See what I'm saying? I don't know if he has, has kids, and I don't know if he was thinking about kids in that moment. I don't know how many loved ones he has, or if he was thinking about his loved ones potentially passing away. But that guy in that moment realizes that time matters. If time didn't matter to God, then why would he spend so much time speaking of his eternal nature? If time didn't matter to God, then why would it be significant that Jesus would be our priest forever? If somehow these moments, like literally these moments right here, were insignificant, then why would God give us any concept of time at all? But he doesn't do that. He's constantly talking about his eternal nature. He's a priest forever. He's not bound by space and time. He is outside of it. Listen to this. He's the king of it. He created it. And so if he created space and time, if he is in fact forever and eternal, then for us, literally everything changes. Because time matters. Your time on this earth matters God in His eternal nature matters. Every second matters. And I want to contend to you. Why is it that it takes these urgent moments for us to realize that? Is anyone else bothered by that? I've talked about it before. Urgent triggers. We all have them. A certain sign, a movie, whatever it may be, where all of a sudden life just comes into focus. Does anyone else long to live in the kind of perception That every single second is incredibly important. If I'm resting and sleeping, I'm doing it intentionally because I need to wake up tomorrow and be on mission. You see? Literally every single thing that we do can be focused because time matters. Now, all of your life you've just been God's eternal, God's eternal. Here, eat. God's eternal, God's eternal. But what happens when you start thinking about if he wasn't? Can I just ask you this? Does it make you appreciate his nature a little bit more? Does it make you wonder a little bit more there's a reason why all of this is happening? So verse 6, you're a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Verse 7, this is incredible. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard Because of his reverence. Look, I don't know why you came here tonight, but let me tell you this. This verse is unbelievable, okay? Let's just break this down here by the commas. In the days of his flesh, Jesus comes in the flesh, the scripture says. And what it says he does when he gets here is he offers up prayers and supplications. So one of the things that the church teaches you growing up, rightfully so, is that you should pray, right? Like, this is not a novel concept, Prayer is good. But oftentimes for me, like I, I wondered like how all of that connects with everything. When I realized three years ago that the Savior spends a significant amount of time praying, that the Christ, fully God and fully man, Scripture says all the time, and He went to the mountainside and prayed. And He withdrew and He prayed. The Garden of Gethsemane, He prayed. If Jesus... Being fully God and fully man is spending a significant amount of time praying. I'm pretty sure for us that should rise in its escalation of importance. Anyone else? But the scripture says this. He offers up prayers and supplications. Now this is classically one of those words as you're reading in the Bible that you're just like, yeah, whatever, supplications. I don't know what that means. I'm sure it means something to do with prayer. But if you just take one second and understand like what's happening here, it makes it so much more beautiful. The Greek word here, only time it's used in the New Testament. And it implies an olive branch. You're like, well, that's weird. He offered up prayer and olive branches. Well, not exactly. What an olive branch was used for is it, it was a sign. You would present it to someone when you needed aid. See what I'm saying? So when the scripture says here that Jesus offered up prayers and supplications, the idea is is that he would he presents these things with loud cries and tears to who to him. When he's seeking for aid, okay? Now, the next piece, with loud cries and tears. Many of you, like, this is you, right? How, how many of you, don't, maybe don't raise your hand. I'm not sure. You're already crying. But how many of you are just like, I'm a really emotional, like, I just, I love to cry when I pray. Anyone want to, no? Okay. Well, you have some credence if you if you do that. Because Jesus did. Uh, I know for many of you, this brings up your favorite Bible verse, Jesus wept. He did cry, okay? Okay. Um, but but for me, the, the whole image here is the Garden of Gethsemane. Right before his death, what does the scripture say? Jesus is in the garden and he's praying. And Luke's gospel records, he he prays more fervently or with more angst, and literally begins to to literally like sweat blood, because of his prayers are so intense, with loud cries and with uh, with loud cries and tears. Now, I want to show you the balance of this scripture because it's unbelievable. He's praying to God because God is able to save him from death, to resurrect him from the grave. And he was heard because of his what? Reverence. Now, many of you are either way too much heart or many of you are way too much head. Okay? Some of you love knowledge. Feed me knowledge. I love knowledge. I love reading books. Give me as much knowledge as you can possibly can. Others of you are not so fond of knowledge. I love emotions, though. Like, I can just up and down, don't care about this. What I see in this passage is a concept I taught a couple years ago. Right doctrine needs to be combined with right emotion. You don't see a picture here of Jesus being some emotional basket case prayer. He's reverent in fear, in respect of God, and still emotional, which tells us what? He has right doctrine, right belief, and he has right emotion. And you know, when those two things combine, it creates a beautiful picture, right? So many of you, you lean towards this way, or you lean towards this way. Let me encourage you with this. When you start to understand the truths in your head, of the power of God, what I've learned is there's times where you are just emotional. And I don't care if you've never cried in your life. When you begin to ponder on the depth of the grace of God, there are times where I believe we should be moved to tears. It's that good, it's that great, it's that connecting. But still an interesting piece in all this. He came in the flesh. What if he didn't? to this what if God had a plan for atonement for the forgiveness of sins that didn't include Jesus coming in the flesh what if God one day was just like forgiven don't need to send Jesus this whole story still fulfill it but it's it's done it's over you're all boom forgiven do you think if Jesus doesn't come in the flesh that things change for you do you think that if all of a sudden he cannot be the picture for us of who God is, that your faith changes? Like if Jesus doesn't come, my grandmother is eighty nine and incredibly deaf and literally the saint of the universe. Um, if there is sainthood, and like she does, I mean she is an unbelievable woman, a godly woman, of the wife to my grandfather, who I speak of all the time. Got to see her this past weekend. I know my grandmother doesn't have much time. And, and as I embrace her before we're going, maybe you've done this before, maybe to some people that you shouldn't, but I like held the hug a little bit longer, you know? I like just, I didn't want to let her go. Have you ever had one of those moments before? I mean, I just, I was, I was squeezing her, right? And she was even like, whoa, take it easy, you know? Um, but I was just, I just didn't want to let her go. So she pulls away from me. She looks at me in an 89-year-old face, and she says, Mark, I love you. And it was, in, it was in that moment again that I was reminded how much love matters. Um, there's this brilliant scripture in Romans chapter 5 that says this, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died. Love matters. If Jesus doesn't come in the flesh, if Jesus isn't the plan of atonement, is there something in you that thinks you would not understand God's love as you do now? Where all of a sudden, if you can look at it from an entirely different perspective, you see that God sends Jesus to reveal the depth of his love because love matters. The fact that God would uh, uh, unveil this plan of his love, doesn't it a little bit, my friends, make you appreciate the longings and desires of God to know his people, to love his people? But all of our life, God is love. God is love. Here, just eat. And you never for once think about if God hadn't shown his love in this way. You never, ever stop to imagine. Instead, you just take it for granted. God is love. It's what I've been told all my life. It's what every single, this is like the most basic message. But what if you understood the depth of it? What if it gripped your heart in a way that it never had before? Time matters and love matters. And the scripture goes on to say this in verse 8. This is incredibly interesting. The last verse, unbelievable. This verse, incredibly interesting. Although he was a son, the son of God, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Is anyone else intrigued by this at all? Jesus, fully God, fully man. And what is this passage implying? That he learns obedience. How is this possible? I thought when Jesus came to the earth like, There was no learning involved. Like, he's pretty much got it. Well, Luke chapter 2, look at this. Luke chapter 2, this is in uh, Jesus' childhood. The scripture says this in verse 52. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So even in the early parts of scripture, it shows us that, that there's this, like, understanding of Jesus' learning. But what does the Bible say that he learned through? His suffering. Um, can we just agree on something that he suffered? Uh, he was beat and smacked, whipped, blood-drenched flesh, crown of thorns stuck on his body, and the scripture says that he learned obedience. That means this, that he literally humbled himself so much so as fully man so that he could better relate to those he was saving by learning. See what I'm saying? He, as the great high priest, as the great mediation between God and man, humbled himself so much so in the fully man piece of him to allow himself to learn through suffering so that when he represents you to God, as the scripture has already said, he's a sympathetic high priest. Why don't we desire to learn through suffering more? Why are we always looking at suffering as the worst thing ever instead of potentially the biggest blessing? Why are we so quick to say, why us? Why God? Why now? Instead of saying, God, I know you're real. I desire to learn obedience through it. Teach me. You learned. You grew. You're the sympathetic high priest. So teach me. And this only gets more interesting here in verse 9. And being made perfect. You see the connection here? Like becoming obedient, learning obedience, and being made perfect. I thought, again, I thought he was perfect. And being made perfect, he became the what? The source of eternal salvation to all who, what's the word? To all who obey him. Now, this is a brilliant um a brilliant way of understanding this. In a, in a, excuse me here, in a, in Philippians chapter two, uh, verse uh, seven, eight, and nine, the scripture says that he literally humbled himself to uh, to become obedient even to death, death on a cross. And so there's this connection here with verse nine and Philippians two that that he's made perfect. The image here is this: is completion. So he learns obedience by being made perfect. And the image is that he wasn't made perfect, but it's that he completed the work. Now, let me say it this way. Uh, My son, Dawson, whom I talk about often, as he gets older, we're all praying he gets more obedient. Okay, right? This is our prayer. I plead it with tears and supplications often, right? Dear God, make Dawson, listen to this. If Dawson grows older, and once he can start talking in non ewok and he communicates to me, and says, Dad, Dad, yeah, I've learned that. I've learned that principle. You've taught me. I've learned it. But then he doesn't do that. To me, that says he hasn't learned it. Fair enough? Uh, For instance, if I tell him to clean up the the toy room, which he enjoys not cleaning it up and making a mess of it, and one day he says, hey dad, I've learned. When you say clean up the toy room, I'm going to clean up the toy room. And the next time I say clean up the toy room and he doesn't do it, I would say he hasn't learned it. Jesus completes the work, shows that he has learned obedience by fulfilling it perfectly. Are you with me? And in doing so, becomes the source, the source of eternal salvation. I love this word right here. Anyone else? seems so insignificant, right? The. The scripture doesn't say a source, right? You bought me a gun rack, right? It doesn't say that. The scripture says the source. He's not a source. He's not a option. He is the source. If you've ever, outside of he's the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes, if you've ever searched for another scripture that affirms the authentic nature of Jesus being the only way, the only truth, and the only life, here it is. He is the source. From him the wellspring of life. You don't go anywhere else. He's the source of what? Eternal salvation. Time matters. Though it feels so temporary. Though it feels so like we're just right here in our little ozone of an existence. All of this has eternal ramifications to all who what? Who obey him. Now, this seems like a work workspace righteousness a little bit, right? Okay, so you're telling me that like those who obey him, those are the ones that, that then like get the source of eternal salvation. This is the exact representation of what we were talking about earlier. Right doctrine, right emotion, and obedience revealing we've learned that he's the source. Are you with me? He's the source, the eternal source. Of all salvation. And now our last question. Verse 10. Being designated by God. A high priest. After the order of Melchizedek. Okay again only eight mentions in the scripture. Two in these short verses. Here's my question. What if man was still your priest? Like literally what. What if all of your existence, all of your understanding of God was still happening through a human priest? Your forgiveness of sins, your prayers, all of your interaction, all of your knowledge, it was all stemming from, in this case, even me or Jeff or Matt. If that was the case now, if all of your interaction with God could only happen through me. Can I ask you this? Do you think you trust him less? Do you think your relationship with God would be different? Do you think that there would be something completely shifting about your walk with God? One of the things I love about a lot of families, it's our small group network on Sundays. Is week in and week out. I'm seeing the vulnerability of people. A couple weeks ago, uh, filled living room, beautiful. I love them, all, and um, we had some individuals just literally decide that 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 was their moment, where they were just gonna just gonna share like the depths of their heart. And I sat back and appreciating what had happened. And it was in that moment that I realized how much intimacy matters. Like in that moment, strangely, as people are being vulnerable and as we're getting this sense of what it means to be a family and open up in all honesty, I felt so intimately connected with these other people in a strange way. People are crying. People are praying together. It was this innate sense of community. And it's the exact picture of the blessing that God has in sending Jesus to be our priest. It shows us in the very nature of God. Listen to this, because this is so encouraging that intimacy matters to God. Knowing his people, not only creating them, not only knowing the depths of their hearts. Intimacy matters to God. Is anyone else just encouraged a little bit? Now listen, I'm not saying, I'm not saying tonight that you don't believe. I'm not saying tonight that you don't believe he's eternal. Some of you may struggle with that, but I'm not saying for the vast majority that you struggle with that. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying you don't believe he's eternal. I'm also not saying that you don't believe he came in the flesh that he's the plan of atonement, that he's the plan for forgiveness of sins. I'm not implying that at all. I'm also not saying that you don't believe that he's the priest. But what I am saying tonight, church, is that we're taking the character of God for granted in ways that are deep-rooted sin. All of the biblical writers, all of them, right from one perspective, here's who God is here's God, here's His character, here he, here, here's, here's who He is, over and over and over. Here's Christ, here's God, here's the Spirit, here's the character. And all of the biblical writers, their understanding is, when you understand the fullness of God's character, you will arrive at this place in your life where like you, you long for that because there's no place else to go. I fear, because all of our life we've been spoon-fed, he's eternal, he's our priest, he came in the flesh, he's forgiveness of sins that you've never never thought critically about what if those things weren't true? What if we were still in the old covenant, pre-Jesus, not intimately connected with God, still your faith through man? What if God, like all of this, was just going to end one day because he wasn't eternal? What happens when you turn your mind a little bit and wonder if those things weren't true. Doesn't in anyone else, it just cause you to appreciate it a little bit more? And for me in my house, here's where I've I've arrived. I long for the gospel, the good news of Jesus, his life, his death, and his resurrection. I long for the good news of Christ to transform me by the minute. Anyone else? I feel like there's this temptation that it transforms us now. Now we're transformed. We, ca- we came to church. This is where we're supposed to be transformed. We go to small group. That's where we're supposed to be. I want to be transformed by the minute. And how I've realized that can happen is when you believe that time matters. Is when you believe that love matters. It's when you believe that intimacy matters. When you understand the depth of God's character In those ways, my friend, the gospel becomes incredibly relevant right now. Not distant, not spoon-fed, but real, really transforming. And so look, I, I can't take the spoon out of your mouth. I can't cause you to think critically. I can't get in your mind. But what I can say is this. If we can together tonight say because of God's unfailing character that all of these minutes matter, that His love is so deep and so caring, even for me, it's so intimately connected, even with me, I have to think that our natural response would be forever changed. I have to believe that. So doesn't it cause you to wonder why hasn't it been then? If these precious truths Are really who God is Then why are we ever Feeding our flesh It's because we forget his character It's because time stops mattering It's because we forget the depth of the love of God That will never separate us from him It's because we forget that he knows our name That he created us depth of his love for us is so incredibly deep. What I'm asking you tonight is if all those things were different, would it affect your faith at all? But what if they were all true? How much would that affect your faith? How much would that reach into the depth of who you are? Could the gospel to pray for you, I want to pray for myself, I never want to be a church community that gathers to hear the gospel, but remains unchanged, are you with me, I want to be a church that even tonight, hears of the character of God, and then says, I must follow. good and holy and righteous. And I pray tonight that you would help us understand the fullness of your awing character in ways that would cause our hearts to be stirred and changed by the second. God, cause our hearts tonight to repent, to turn from our sin, to turn from our wicked ways, to turn from the ways that we distance ourselves from you. God, cause our hearts to worship with joy because of what you've done and what you'll continue to do. You are eternal, God, thank you. You are our high priest. You are loving God. Thank you for these things. Thank you for coming in the flesh. Thank you for providing intimacy. God, now help us live like those things are true.